turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Everybody, welcome to the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us on this Tuesday afternoon. Normally joined at this time by Ian Simpkins, my normal co-host, but Ian is out for one more day on this Friday. He'll join us again on Monday. And uh, John, my voice isn't getting any better today, so uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna just go until it doesn't go anymore. Well, you you sound <clears throat> fine. I think I mentioned yesterday the compressor takes care of most of that, but it doesn't take care of the days of the week. Because today is Friday. What did I say? You said Tuesday. Tuesday? Yeah, right? Wow. Yeah, that would be last decade if we were on Tuesday. Which <laughs> Happy Friday, <let's>... people. <laughs> Happy Friday. And so, uh, yeah, uh, uh, battling a little bit of a cold, but we're going to play a little injured today and just keep going. And so I'm going to fly solo today, much like we did yesterday, and then Ian will come back and join us on Monday. And uh, the first time we're both together for the new decade, 2020. So... Uh, it still feels weird that it's 2020. Feels weird to say that, right? It does feel weird to say <clears throat> 2020. And I remember I was I was seeing a, a bunch of stuff on Facebook. I I, I get into this weird trek of random memes. <laughs> That's and stuff. what Facebook is. It's just a weird trek of memes. That's mm-hmm. all it is now. And uh, someone posted something about the plagues of each century since the 1700s. And 1720 had a plague, 1820, 1920. And I'm thinking, uh-oh, <laughs> what here is we it? go. <laughs> What's the plague of 2020? What do you think? It is Facebook. It's Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> you were on it right there. <laughs> I didn't even know it. That's so funny. I even saw something being passed around yesterday, people saying, don't sign your papers or your checks with just a twenty at the end because people I can saw change that. it. I was like, okay, I'm like, all right, but what, what can they? What can they do? Is like, they can the add year. to the end of it, like nineteen oh, or eighteen, okay. and I don't know exactly what that does, but it clearly does something. So, if I'm giving a check to like my dad, that'd be one thing. But like, yeah, if I'm if I'm doing, gotta it, watch out for your dad. Yeah, hey, you know him. So we're glad to have you join us. You can join us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk, online eleven sixty hope dot com. You can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Go ahead, subscribe, rate, review, and uh, we're grateful for those of you who do that. We're also playing a little tired today. Went to the Bulls game last night with my kids and my wife. We so close. We uh, we said uh, that was part of their Christmas gift, and man, it was one of those games. The Bulls were in it. They came back. They came back, and then you're like, I just know they're. It was kind of watching it, going, let's just see how they lose this game. It's pretty much synonymous with the entire season. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was fun. It was a good game, though, and oh, I haven't is. been to a Bulls game in a couple of years, so I like to joke that we sat above the uh, 
uh, we sat above the uh, the banners. <laughs> well, honestly, nice the UC is built where it's like there's not there's no such thing as a bad seat at the UC. We were uh, we were high up there, so that yeah. was fun as well. <clears throat> Glad to have you joining us today. Not on a Tuesday, on a Friday. It is a Friday. On a Friday, the Thank weekend goodness. is upon us. It is seem weird because yesterday, with New Year's being Wednesday, yesterday did seem kind of like a Monday. So. Here we are, but it's a two-day week. There still, you go. Yeah, I could go for more of those. <laughs> I could go for more of those. Well, uh, some serious news. I'm sure that you have been following, uh, and that is uh, the the United States making a uh, a hit on General. I'm going to say his name. What was Salami? Salami? Uh, Salamani yeah, uh, of Iran? Might be yes. <clears throat> and uh, obviously. Uh, you don't tend to come to this station for or this show for the uh, up-to-date news analysis, but I just know from reading uh, news stories and Twitter and watching stuff, it's a really big deal. And uh, I, all I want to say about it is um, when we're reminded uh, of of conflict and wars and battles and evil and all sorts of things, uh, as Christians, we need to be reminded uh, to pray. And we need to be reminded to to look to Jesus and to be reminded that this world is not all that there is, that the revelation says there's coming a day when there will be no more wars. There will be none of this. And so if you find yourself um, uneasy by what's going on around us uh, for good reason, I think there's a lot of reasons to be uneasy for what is going on around us. Uh, take use that as a reminder, uh, be reminded to pray. And to stay informed, but also to have that perspective that says there is coming a day, thanks to the good news of Jesus Christ, where uh, where these things will not be present. These things will not uh, be our reality. And and we can take comfort in that and, and we can live in that. And so uh, be watching the news, be keeping up on it, uh, praying it doesn't escalate into some big thing here. Um, I was driving in listening to 560 our sister station and uh and uh it makes you nervous <laughs> as you hear the conversation it just makes you nervous so uh let that drive you to prayer uh i did want to talk about a tweet from one of our favorite pastors who we discuss here often named scott sauls uh scott sauls is a pastor uh at uh, a presbyterian church in nashville tennessee also a prolific blogger and author. And uh, he tweeted something. He, he, he writes to pastors a lot. And I, I wanted to read his tweet. And, and then we'll put it up on our Facebook page. And just wondering what you think about it. I wonder if you agree with what he said. Because the responses to his tweet, there's a lot of people pushing back and saying, no, I don't agree with you. Uh, here's the tweet. Let me read it. This is from December 29th. Saul's writes, for us preachers, the longer it takes people to figure out where we stand on politics, in all likelihood, the more faithfully we are preaching Jesus. <laughs> Again, he says, for us preachers, the longer it takes to, for people to figure out where we stand on politics, in all likelihood, the more faithfully uh, we are preaching Jesus. And here's his point, I think. I think he's saying, uh, remember, I've, I've quoted Saul's before on this show where Saul says um, that uh, if we are living, uh, following Jesus, we know we're living uh, well following Jesus. If people on the right and the left are getting mad at us uh, and 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 saying that we're doing it wrong. Uh, and so I think Saul's point here is, especially for those who, who preach on a regular basis, 
our, I, I don't think our politics, he's saying, should Trump, uh, no pun intended, should uh, should should go above uh, the gospel message in the fact that people can say, oh, that's that guy. He's he's clearly a Republican or he's clearly a Democrat. Uh, and he's saying, as we're faithfully preaching Jesus, what's going to happen is uh, we are going to challenge those on the right and those on the left, that the message of Christ is not uh, put into the box of Democrat or Republican. Uh, but but there are some people uh, who really pushed back on this. Uh, one of the replies said Bonhoeffer pops into my mind, not a scholar on him by any means, but I imagine people pretty clearly knew his political stand. Uh, I guessing you're not talking about being evasive or not talking about public controversial stands on individual issues like abortion and other things, but rather on right versus left labels. And he writes back, that's right, Western American context on this one. Somebody else replied, when you preach from Scripture, truth and love seems to me it wouldn't take too long to tell. Uh, And I would disagree with that person. I would say, I think as you preach faithfully from Scripture, you are going to rile people up on both sides. And so I just wanted to throw that tweet out there. When I read it, I found it very convicting and interesting. And I'm curious what you think. I'm curious if you believe him to be true, that the more we're following Jesus, the more we're preaching Jesus, the less people will be able to tell exactly what our politics are, because it's not going to fit into that box. So go ahead and reply to that at our Facebook page, The Common Good Radio Show, or on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Coming up next, uh, diving into a Christianity Today article that deals with that crazy story, that uh, heartbreaking story out of Bethel Church out in California a couple weeks ago. We're going to discuss that next year on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us today on this Friday. We've decided that it's Friday today, and uh, I, I, I think I called it Tuesday in the last segment. Uh, we'll decide it's it's a day. very tuesday e Friday, I guess. Second day of the work week. Yeah, we'll, we'll go with that. But yeah. thankfully, it's Friday, which means we get a weekend coming up. Uh, hope you, hopefully, you've got big plans for your weekend. And uh, I, think, I think part of my weekend is going to be taking Christmas stuff down, like de-Christmasing. The house, which is... Do you do know. a live tree? No. No. I okay. used to for years. In fact, I once preached in a sermon. I once uh, mocked people who had fake trees. <laughs> and like two years later, we got one passed down to us. And I'm like, ooh, this is nice. This is nice. It's like an umbrella. Like yep. a giant umbrella. Yep. And so, no, the last couple of years, we've been fake tree people. I don't know. We, we, we make it a thing where we, we get the live tree. because It's almost like a ceremony taking it down. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, you, you can do that you, with a fake tree. It, but like it's the the my dad's a pyromaniac, so he, the, the burning of it. I don't know if it's a weird thing, but every uh, year he takes the stump, the bottom part of the tree, uh, and puts our Christmas picture of that year on it. Oh. Clear coats it, so we have like twenty two years. That's really smart. Sister was born. It's, it's a really cool thing, and you could tell how. Uh, the tree has gotten smaller, so our ambition for a big tree every year just dwindles away because it's much smaller every single year. That, that speaks to something right there. But yeah, yeah. no, uh, it's kind of like the official end of the holiday season when you start taking down the lights. I saw our neighbors taking their lights down yesterday, and you're like, oh, okay, well, here we go. Yeah. And so it is it's still snow, but you know, is it? It's like forty degrees outside. Well, not today. I'm not starting. I'm starting to wonder whether it's ever going to snow again, which I'm okay with, but. I don't know. Every day, it's like you look at your you look at your thermometer. It's like forty degrees. You're like, what's going on around here? Yeah, Sunday was a little chilly, but yesterday was. I well, mean, but now it's like we call it chilly when it's like 
25, yeah. which is, you know. Then that polar vortex. I'm sure the vortex like, is coming. I'm sure it's coming. It will. But, uh, yeah. So, anyway, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk, online at 1160hope.com. Find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. I want to talk out of uh, Christianity Today did an article uh, about a really sad story out of Bethel Church. If you know Bethel Church, an enormous uh, church, very charismatic church out of Redding, California, uh, their their pastor, well-known pastor, Bill Johnson, and uh, Redding Church is known for um, their, how to put this, uh, their deep-seated belief in the fact that not only does God heal, but you almost like God's on the hook to heal. He's promised to heal at all times. And so they have a very vibrant healing ministry amongst other things. And uh, last last month uh, in the middle of December, uh, one of their uh, worship leaders or songwriters, I forget exactly, her name is Callie uh, Haligenthal, Haligenthal, uh, their child, Olive, uh, tragically, on December the 16th, uh, just just passed away in her sleep. And uh, they, that started a thing where uh, there was this hashtag called Wake Up Olive. And uh, what they were doing was inviting the basically the world to pray that God would resurrect this child, uh, that God would raise this child. And uh, that kind of started an uncomfortable firestorm of people going, this is inappropriate. This is right. Uh, God still heals. Uh, this is just hardful for the family. You know, kind of going back and forth around Twitter or articles. And uh, it, it was... Um, it was it was hard to read. Uh, Pastor Bill Johnson wrote on his website, how can God choose not to heal someone when he already purchased their healing? He continued, he already decided to heal. There are no deficiencies on his, on his end. All lack is on our end of the equation. And so uh, the article uh, here at Christian Day by K.J. Ramsey, he goes on to say, I live in the tension of a body that to many who follow this thinking appears to contradict God's plan chained to lifelong chemotherapy or immunotherapy, perhaps because I have not accessed enough of the spirit's power. And, and what ends up happening here, as you could probably guess, is on Friday, December 20th, Bethel Church announced that the family would begin planning a memorial service uh, and and bury their child and begin the grieving process or continue the grieving process for this two-year-old. And that's what we can't lose sight in the story is that it's the story of a two-year-old who went to bed and didn't wake up. Um, but it, it does bring up this tension, uh, that, uh, about healing. And I remember when I first read about this story, I was like, no, I'm okay with people praying that God would do a miracle. God does miracles. He didn't just do miracles in the new Testament, which he did. But God is still doing miracles. We read this. We see this. We hear about this. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, God is not, um, uh, he is not, he doesn't have to do a miracle. And to, uh, for, for the pastor here to say uh, all the lack is on our end of the equation, I think is really dangerous. And it's really hard because on top of the grief of a family who may have lost a loved one, on top of the struggle for somebody whose body is breaking down, maybe with cancer or something, on top of the hardship for that person who is wrestling with depression and struggling with depression, is this pressure that says it's it's kind of 
your fault that you're not getting healed. There, there's something in that theology that puts the pressure on you that says, if you just had a little more faith, if you just prayed the right prayer, if you just uh, called out a little bit better or a little bit more, then, then you would have seen this happen. And for a family, take this example, who is struggling with the death of a two-year-old daughter, to then have on top of that um, this even idea, even remote idea that says in some way she is not being raised because of your lack of faith only compounds the struggle. And I think we all need to wrestle with this in believing in a God who does miracles, but also in the brokenness of the world where, where not everything we want to have happen happens and not everything that we pray for happens. That doesn't mean God is deficient. It doesn't mean that we are deficient. Uh, but it means that, uh, that, that the healing is coming at a different time. I remember months ago, uh, who was, what was the pastor's name? Greg Surratt, uh, out in, uh, I believe Seacoast church and, uh, or whatever church it was out in the Carolinas. And, uh, he was talking about, we had him on to talk about, they were, they were seeing some healings in their, in their services and in their prayer times at their church. And, and I'll never forget what he said. It's one of the things I enjoy about the show is getting to interact with people like this. Uh, and never forget what he said. He said, what we're telling people is God's going to heal you. He may choose to do it miraculously right here, right now. He may choose to do it through doctors and medicine and, and technology, or he may choose to do it in eternity after you've left this world and, and you have your new body and, and there is no more disease. And he said, we're just praying prayers of faithfulness. And if God chooses to heal to him, be the glory. If God chooses uh, not to heal in this world, then to him be the glory. And uh, and I think that's kind of the uh, the posture that we need to take because it can become really dangerous to say, uh, <clears throat> John, you know, you're sick. Uh, if you just prayed better, you wouldn't be sick anymore. Well, now you're sick and you feel like you have a faith that's lacking. And, and that is, uh, it's just dangerous. And I don't think it's biblical. And, and so I do think we need to be really careful. And, uh, you know, but I do think we also need to pray prayers boldly. I have no problem when somebody comes to us in church and says, hey, uh, I just got a cancer diagnosis. Would you pray that I'd be healed? Absolutely. We're told to pray for that. So we pray for that. And uh, but but we don't uh, say we don't then put it on that person and that person's faith. And so uh, this is a touchy one. This is one that's hard. Uh, This is one where it can cause a lot of confusion. And we'd love to hear your feedback. We'll put the story up there uh, at the Common Good Radio Show on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show or at Common Good Talk on Twitter. Well, coming up next. Uh, Just Mercy author Brian Stevenson on faith, death row advocacy. He says no one is beyond redemption. We're going to talk about that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, Ian Simpkins normally with us each and every day. Ian is... uh, he is not in today, still uh, with family for the holidays. He'll be back with us on Monday, and uh, we'll do our first show together in 2020. Uh, excited to be back together. You can continue the conversation on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show. Twitter at Common Good Talk. 
You can find us online at 1160hope.com. Go ahead and find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, review. Uh, we are grateful for all of those people, all of you who do that. Well, uh, John, you and I were talking off air, talking to our producer, John, over here. Uh, you are a part of a prison ministry uh, through your church or through Wayside Mission. I'm curious, not even so much what you do, but why you choose to do that. Why do you like doing that? It, it, it's it's something that is sort of, uh, it, def- it defies kind of the, the norm of evangelism. Mm-hmm. Uh, where, where we where we perform outreach and people think, oh, you, you, we talked yesterday about going to nursing homes and stuff off air in, in that ministry where you wouldn't think there was an, a, an immense need. But you enter a world where people have no choice but to be there mm-hmm. at prisons like they're they're sentenced to the rest of their lives. That why would that disqualify them from salvation, mm. from from the glory of God and from the mercy of God? It's for everybody. And it, you, you'd be surprised entering these these prisons how much you are being ministered to mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as much as as you would go there to serve them. Yeah, I remember when I was in college, we uh, I was at Wheaton. One of the things you could do is join in on various ministries, and one of them was to a um, uh, to a youth detention center, the one out in Warrenville, okay. and then there was one in St. Charles. And I always found it the same way. Those kids weren't, and when I was in college, they weren't much younger than me and it was always very powerful because mm-hmm. they had already seen things I'd never seen and done things I hopefully never do and uh, but to see the hope of the gospel come into those types of places uh, was always really powerful and I bring this up for this reason uh, at the Christian Post at christianpost.com uh, the author of the new book uh, or, or the best-selling book Just Mercy which is now being made into a movie uh, his, the author's name is Brian Stevenson, and he did an interview uh, talking about uh, kind of the, what we're talking about here, the hope that he sees in reaching out in prisons. It says, uh, Brian Stevenson shared how his faith and conviction in the gospel informs his advocacy work for those on death row and urged the church to reckon with its racial past to better help society come to a place of, quote, restoration and redemption. He said, my faith influences and shapes everything I do. The 60 year old public interest lawyer told the Christian Post. I remember growing up and the preacher would read from the prophet Micah. What does it Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? He says that has framed the orientation that I have for work and in the kind of life I want uh, to live. Uh, a Harvard educated human rights attorney and founder of the Equal Justice Initiative. He's dedicated his career to helping the poor, the incarcerated and the condemned. Over the last 30 years, he's won reversals, relief, and release from prison for over 135 wrongly condemned prisoners on death row. And he goes to say this, and then we'll, I want to discuss this. He says, I've advocated on behalf of people who've been condemned because I believe that each of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done. And that belief is rooted in my conviction in the, in the Gospels. I don't believe anyone is beyond hope, beyond redemption. I believe everyone's life has purpose and meaning and value. That's why I'm conf- uh, committed to defending basic human rights for everybody. I absolutely could not do what I do without faith, without a belief in the unseen, he says. I believed I could be a lawyer, even though I'd never met a lawyer until I got to Harvard. I believed we could make a difference on behalf of condemned people, even though everybody was telling me that there wasn't any precedent for it. And so he brings up a lot of very valid points, a lot of interesting points for us to wrestle with. The big one there is when he says that when I look at the Gospels, I realize that 
at, there is nobody beyond hope redemption and that uh, the worst thing you're doing uh, is is not what defines you. We talked about that yesterday, right? One of the lies we believe about our own identity is uh, that, that we are no better than the worst thing we've done. Well, there are guys and girls, uh, men and women sitting in these prisons, like you said, for the rest of their lives because of the worst thing they've done. And uh, we define them that way. And the question becomes, do we believe as Christians, does the gospel teach uh, that there are people, uh, even the worst of criminals in our culture, if you will define them that way, uh, who are uh, are those people still uh, not just open, but worthy of the good news of the grace of Jesus Christ? And, uh, yeah, what would you say, John, when you guys go in and you share the gospel, is it usually pretty well received? Uh, yeah. And, and they're usually very familiar with it. Mm. They're, they're, they have uh, they all have Bibles. They have permission to have that, even in the strictest of, of, of conditions in these prisons. Yeah. But we try to focus on the grace of God and their identity in Christ and giving mm-hmm. their illuminating the value of their soul, because when you accept Christ, he's you're, you're, you're making your spirit and your soul synonymous with him, therefore making you uh, 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 receiving of his mercy. Yeah. So like it, he sees, or I should say God sees sin, but he sees past it when you accept it. Mm. It's, it's, it's more, it's more important than just shoving truth down these guys throats. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's the, uh, and a lot of churches are starting to get into prisons and do things there. It's a reminder that all people are not just redeemable, but are loved, uh, that they are loved in Christ. And so that brings up a bigger point for all of us <clears throat> that says, uh, are we going to view, are we as the church or individual Christ followers, are we going to view not just people in prisons, but, uh, you know, the homeless person in our town, uh, the uh, the person that kind of bothers us on our street or whatever else it might be, are we going to view the marginalized and uh, the look down upon uh, in this way as worthy uh, of the gospel and therefore worthy uh, of our care and our love and our attention? Uh, he he says, I really believe that because sometimes it's in brokenness that we appreciate what it means to be fully human. Uh, and he goes on to say uh, why he's continuing this fight. And just to be honest, I'll lay my cards on the table. Uh, this is uh, this concept is why I feel I know it's a nuanced discussion, but why I feel pretty strongly uh, against the death penalty, because I, I don't see any reason that we as Christians uh, want to be putting people to death when 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 there's still that opportunity for people to hear the good news of Jesus. Is there repercussions for actions? Obviously and absolutely. Uh, but but we as the church, we need to ask, are we loving and caring for the same people that Jesus loved and cared for? Are we reaching out uh, to those same people that Jesus came for, the marginalized uh, and the hurting uh, and the struggling? Uh, both those people <clears throat> uh, who have been victimized, but even, and I know this is hard to put it this way, but what does the church, uh, what does the gospel say about even how we uh, interact with those who have victimized and those who uh, have perpetrated crimes? Uh, and so he he really brings up great points in here and, and challenges us to say, what do we believe? Uh, what do we believe? He says, we're not defined by our history. We're not defined by what we have done 
as our worst. Redemption is still available, uh, but we have to repent. We have to give voice to our failings. Repentance breeds redemption. Collectively, as a church, we need to help people see that. And so I get challenged when I read articles like this. That's why I wanted to bring it up. What do we believe about people who have done the worst of the worst? Are they outside of the umbrella in the reach of the gospel? Or do we believe that the gospel is good news, even uh, to the what we consider culturally the worst of the worst? Uh, the good news of the gospel is that nobody is outside the grace of Jesus Christ. And for that, uh, we can all be thankful. Well, you're listening to The Common Good. I'm Brian Fromm. Come back and join us. And you can continue the conversation at Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Excited to have you joining us today. Ian Simpkins, our normal uh, co-host, partner in crime, is uh, still out enjoying the holiday season, I believe, uh, through the weekend with family. And uh, so Ian will be back with us on Monday for Monday show. Uh, But I am flying solo today and doing it with... With a little bit of a compromised voice, a little bit of a of a holiday season cold, and uh, yeah, so you know nothing like having a, a raspy voice on the radio. The post holiday blues are evident. The post the post holiday blues. <laughs> I did talk to somebody yesterday. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, you know it was good to get a break over the holidays, and he said a break. He said I need to go back to work to get a break. I said, well, your kids are younger <laughs> than mine. I said your kids are younger, and so it reminds me of the old. Uh, when you've got little kids, it's uh, when you go away with your kids, it's a trip. When you go away without your kids, it's a vacation. There you go. <laughs> so some of you feel that about the holiday season, but hopefully you're getting back into the swing of things as we kick off 2020. And uh, yeah, you can find us uh, on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Well, one thing we like to do. Uh, is just to share random things that we're seeing on Twitter, on Facebook, things that uh, make myself or Ian think and um, just kind of wrestle and then go, okay, well, let's uh, share this with other people. So let me do two of them here uh, over the next couple of minutes. The first one's from Tim Keller. Tim Keller, if you're in the in the evangelical world, you know him well. Tim Keller is uh, was the pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, did unbelievable work there. He is a prolific author, speaker. Uh, I went to a conference once, and they referred to him as Yoda. And uh, just if you're not familiar with Tim Keller, I would encourage you to become familiar with Tim Keller. Uh, But Tim Keller wrote this on the day after Christmas on his Facebook page. He wrote, I am going to judge my circumstances by Jesus's love, not Jesus's love by my circumstances. Let me say that again. I'm going to judge my circumstances uh, by Jesus's love, not Jesus's love by my circumstances. And that is just a truth bomb right there, people. Because uh, so often uh, we look at our circumstances and if things are hard or not exactly as we want them to be, we go, well, Jesus has let us down. He must not love me. There must be something wrong with our relationship. There must be something. I must be doing it incorrectly. But instead, he says, uh, I'm going to judge my circumstances by Jesus's love. And what he's saying there is going, I'm going to remind myself no matter what is going on in my life, no matter what, whether things are great or things are bad, whether things are uh, I'm healthy or sick, relationships are good or bad, work is going well or whatever. 
whatever your circumstances might be. He says the, the what he's saying there is that the constant in that is Christ's love in our lives. Uh, and that in Christ, we are children of God. That's the identity question we talked about yesterday. And that, that, that is a constant. And so Keller says, I'm going to judge my circumstances by Jesus's love, that the, the lens through which I'm going to view everything is that I'm loved and accepted in Christ. And therefore I can attack my circumstances that way. When life is really hard, I can, I could take uh, solace in the fact that uh, I could take comfort and take courage in the fact uh, that Jesus's love for me has not changed. Uh, but when it's the other way, when I when Jesus's love is determined, is judged by my circumstances, well, then that becomes the roller coaster ride that our circumstances are. Well, when things are bad, then Jesus is mad at me. Uh, he's not doing his job or there's something wrong. And, and that becomes really dangerous because then uh, our identity just gets really uh, completely out of whack. And, and so. Uh, I wanted to challenge us with that, but also encourage us with that. I am going to judge my circumstances by Jesus's love, not Jesus's love by my circumstances. Let me read another one. This is from our old friend, Drew Dick. He uh, we've had him on the show a few times. Uh, Drew is a prolific tweeter. You could follow him uh, and uh, he does a lot of writing and speaking. And he wrote this on December 31st. He wrote this on New Year's Eve. He wrote, worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength. Oh, this is from Corey Tenboom. He's quoting Corey Tenboom. Worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength, carrying two days at once. It is moving into tomorrow ahead of time. Worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Let's read that again. Worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength, carrying two days at once. It is moving into tomorrow ahead of time. Worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Now, I want you to wrestle with that one as well, because I, I am a card-carrying worrier. I, I tend to worry, uh, you know, wake up worried, lose some sleep, whatever else it might be. And Corey Tenboom here is saying uh, what we're doing when we're worrying is uh, we are Carrying what is what we can't control, what might happen tomorrow. You know, we all worry about what does my future hold? What's tomorrow bring? What does the next year bring? And what 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 Ten Boom is saying there is that worrying, it just adds to the burden that worrying uh, is is adding to tomorrow's load with today's strength, carrying two days at once. It's moving into the future ahead of time. It doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. What a powerful statement. But then for me, I end up going, well, then what do we do about that? Like, what is, uh, what is the move then? How do we not, how do we not be people who worry? Uh, cause again, you might not struggle with worry. It's something that I really struggle with, uh, this kind of anxiety and worry. And, and I were constantly reminded by Paul's words to the Philippians, uh, he, to the Philippian church, he says, do not be anxious about anything. And if there was a period at the end of that, I would be like, well, that's going to cause me greater anxiety. Don't be anxious about anything. Okay, now I'm anxious about not being anxious about anything. But there's not a period at the end of that statement. It keeps going. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
Paul sets up this dichotomy. He says, you can be anxious or you can, you can pray and trust God. Do not be anxious about anything, uh, but, but, uh, but present your requests to God. And, and then there's a promise that comes with it. And how many of us out there in 2020 need uh, the realization of this promise that, um, that the peace of God, how many of you long for the peace of God in your life? How many of you desperately need the peace of God in your life, but instead you're riddled by anxiety. You're riddled by worry. What's the, what's the next shoe to drop? What's going to happen next? And, and and the answer biblically, the answer in the book of Philippians is uh, rather than worry, pray. Uh, And it might not make all your problems go away. We talked about that in an earlier segment may not make all your problems go away, but here's what it is going to do. It, the promise is that it's going to come with God's peace. And part of God's peace comes from God's presence in our lives. He says, I'll be with you always. And so that's my, one of my prayers for myself, but for all of us in 2020, uh, is that we will be reminded uh, that worrying just adds to the burden. But, it, you know, we don't have to get rid of it. We can instead present it to God. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, present your request to God. And here's the promise. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's my prayer for myself, and it's my prayer for you here in 2020. Well, coming up next, we're going to do it, John. We're going to dump into a little bit of politics. That's coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everyone. It's Ian Simpkins here. And I remember the first time that I actually learned about Thriving Financial. I was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and me and two other pastors had this dream, this idea to better care for the marriages in our communities. And so we started to dream up this conference idea. What if we actually hosted a local conference to pour into marriages and couples in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our communities? And Thriving Financial kind of came alongside and not only like made the conference possible, but they were actually interested in partnering with us as churches, as pastors, to help people not only be wise with money, but to live more generously, which was always a value that I had and always struggled to find organizations that actually wanted to help our churches do that. And so that's actually kind of the beginning of what's been a really beautiful journey and relationship with Thrive and to actually be wise with money, to live generously, and to help other people do the same. And so if that interests you, I'd encourage you to go to Thrivent.com to learn more. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Everybody, welcome back to the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad you're joining us here on this Friday afternoon. Hopefully, you're driving home from work right now. The week, that long two-day work week is done, and uh, you are looking forward to the weekend. We are excited to have you joining us today. Uh, if you join us on the podcast sometime in the future, welcome. Glad you're here. 
You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk. You can find us online at 1160hope.com. And speaking of the podcast, you can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Go ahead, subscribe, rate, review, send it to your friends, tell them to subscribe, rate, review. And uh, as Ian likes to say, that helps us somehow. We're not exactly sure how it helps us, but it helps us. It helps people find the podcast. And uh, we, we love to joke that there are people who know that we're a radio show but have no idea about the podcast, and there are people who know that we have a podcast and have no idea about the radio show. So someday the two will hopefully come together. And uh, But however it is you consume the common good, we are grateful uh, for each and every one of you, and we're looking forward to 2020. And uh, John, did you know there's an election coming in 2020? I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> it's... Yeah, uh, some people. It begins. Some people like this is their Super Bowl. They love this. <sighs> Dude, I am I'm, not one of those no, people. I run. I turn and run and just take it as it is. I I, I do vote. Oh, obviously, but yes. like, oh, just the the talking heads and even the debates are starting to turn to this tabloid insanity that I I can't bear to watch. Yep. yep. So I usually go. I, I I do vote on policy. I I I. I I'm guilty of voting also on character. Yeah. So that bugs me. But like, you know, the, the pro-life and, and, and you know, marriage and stuff like that, I got to vote based on that. You've teed that up very well because there are two articles that I read this week uh, that 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 really highlight for me the struggle of the upcoming presidential election. And so <clears throat> uh, the question becomes, what is it that drives our vote? And, you know, there was a little piece written in Christianity Today that got some traction. You don't say. (laughs) Old friend of the show, Mark Galley. He'll be on again. uh, (laughs) That will be fun. After today, because he's retiring today. That is true. (laughs) And so there was that over Christianity Today. And then a lot of people writing things in response to that. Uh, And and it really has raised the question as to what drives uh, our voting. And, And some of you might disagree with me out there. But uh, I think you can be a committed follower of Jesus and support and vote for Donald Trump. And I think that you could be a committed and and uh, passionate follower of Jesus and not vote for Donald Trump. I do not think that one is inherently more Christian or spiritual than the others. The, the real question for us becomes, uh, what is it that decides our vote? Like, what is it that that we are looking for? And with that in mind, I saw just two... Um, two articles that, that really kind of piqued my interest. And the first was out of Axios, and this one was all over. Uh, but it's of G- uh, Republican Senator James Lankford out of Oklahoma. Uh, Lankford is a, uh, a very committed believer. <clears throat> and Lankford said this. He said, I said very early on in the campaign time period when people asked me in 2016, what are you looking for? Well, I said, I always look for a president who can be a role model. I don't think that President Trump as a person is a very good role model, he wrote, for a lot of different youth. But that's just me personally. I don't like the way that he tweets some of the things that he says. His word choices at times are not my word choices. Specifically, Langford said he disagrees with Trump's uh, tweeting habits and language, but that he's willing to work with the president when they agree on policies. He says on issues of abortion, for instance, that Donald Trump's been tenaciously pro-life. He's focused on putting people around him that are focused on religious liberty. Uh, and then uh, he goes on to say, and, and I, I found this uh, strangely encouraging 
to see a sitting GOP senator say, you know what, uh, I don't really respect uh, or view the president as a role model, but yet at the same time, there's a lot of policy agreements. It's exactly what you just said, John, before about uh, there are uh, there are things that I wish he didn't do. There are things from his best or the way he tweets or whatever else it might be, the language he uses. Uh, but yet uh, he is uh, pro-life and he's this. And I think all of us, when it comes to election season, need to wrestle with this. What is it that drives uh, our vote? Because then there was another article at Religion News uh, on December 29th. Uh, and that uh, this article was literally written by Joe Biden. So Joe Biden trying to put out there uh, the case, uh, his religious case, who he is as a person of faith in his religious background. Uh, and he says, uh, you know, it begins by saying two days. Today's politics are too toxic, mean and divisive. Uh, that's beneath us. It doesn't reflect well on us. And then he says, I first learned those values growing up as a Catholic middle class family in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And then in Claymont, Delaware, and he goes on to talk about his faith. Uh, and, and then he goes on to say this. My whole idea of self and family of community in the wider world stems from those lessons that he referenced above. They drilled into me a core truth. Every single human being deserves to be treated with dignity. Everyone, the poor and the powerless, the marginalized and the vulnerable, the least of these. That has been the animating principle of my life and my faith. And when I read that, I said, yeah, that's absolutely true. Uh, but then it highlights a policy issue for me. Uh, and that is when Joe Biden says every single human being deserves to be treated with dignity, uh, the poor, the powerless, the marginalized and the vulnerable, the least of these. And I don't think there's a more uh, more marginalized and vulnerable and powerless than the unborn in our world, in our country. And I know where uh, I think all of the Democratic candidates, including Joe Biden, stand on that issue. And that's where this becomes hard, because you read things that he says in here and you agree with them. You're like, yes, yes. But, man, on this issue that I think is such an enormous issue, and I'm not a one issue voter, but it's a big one. It's a biggie. He speaks the right words about the marginalized and the poor and the powerless and the vulnerable. And we as the church and as Christians, we need to be concerned about the poor, the marginalized and the vulnerable. Uh, we need to be supporting candidates and policies that don't just serve me, but also serve or, or maybe primarily even serve those uh, who most need to be served and most need help. Uh, but to be able to leave out of that from under that umbrella, the unborn, uh, the the the. The babies who 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 we have uh, who we have killed over and over again in our culture is heartbreaking to me, and I think in many ways uh, these two articles hold up kind of the struggle in front of many of us that many of us feel as we approach the election of 2020. And I'm just curious how how you out there are going to how you reconcile this, how you wrestle with this. Um, because no candidate is perfect. No party is perfect. And uh, and that's what makes this such a struggle, because uh, it is a really important election that we are facing. It's a really important election towards the trajectory of the country. And man, am I so uncomfortable with some of the things that uh, some of my friends are on both end sides of the aisle are writing on Facebook or Twitter or whatever else it might be. And that temperature is only going to get raised. 
and, and in these two articles, I found what I struggle with. I think I found what, what a lot of my struggle is uh, to see a candidate like Joe Biden say, uh, we, we want to be for the power, poor and the powerless and the marginalized and not really take that towards the unborn. But then also see a GOP senator said, I don't really see Donald Trump as a role model in the way he tweets and the way he talks. I agree with both of those, and I struggle with both of those. And so uh, just wanted to get that off my chest and wondering what people out there think. Uh, you can you can add on to the conversation at Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. Uh, but w- this is not the last chance we're going to have to talk about politics because that election is coming. Man, a year from now, I think we'll basically be inaugurating either – a second-term president or a new president, which is just really kind of crazy to think about. Uh, but it's something that we as Christians need to. This isn't a game that where where your side wins and the other side loses. These are there are some really important things to be thinking about and and to be prayerful about. And the church needs to be both involved in politics and outside of politics at the same time. And hopefully, uh, we get that right. Well, coming up next, we are going to uh, change course. An article that says this, children's parents who are addicted to their cell phones affect children's development, according to a scientist. We're going to discuss that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside, oh, normally alongside Ian Simpkins. I get so used to saying it that way. Ian is not in today. Uh, he is still out uh, enjoying the holidays. He'll be back with us on Monday. And uh, we'll be together for our first show of 2020 together. Whoop. And uh, that, that whoop you hear is producer John, PJ. Uh, helping, unprompted whoop. Unprompted but. whoop. But, uh, but he's, uh, John is thankfully adding to the show today uh, to give me a break every now and then. Uh, but again, we're glad that you're joining us. You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk, online at 1160hope.com. Go ahead and find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Uh, subscribe, rate, review. Uh, we are grateful for all of you uh, who do that. And one of the things we enjoy doing on the show is just kind of hitting to all different fields, right? Earlier in the show, we, we discussed church. We discussed various tweets that we've read. Uh, last segment, we discussed politics and kind of the struggle that at least I feel uh, as a Christ follower with both sides of the aisle. And uh, now we're going to do a little bit of parenting and a little bit of uh, of of what some research is showing about technology and cell phones and what it does to our children, and uh, and we we see these articles increasingly more and more because it's an issue. Most of our kids out there, they've got phones, they've got uh, access to technology, uh, and so at healthyholisticliving.com, what a cool website, right? Healthyholisticliving.com. I might need to read more there. Well, I mean, it kind of says what it is. If it doesn't yeah. pigeonhole what they do, they could have been like holistic yep. Enti- with a Q. Unhealthyliving.com. You know, that'd be the other way. But, uh, so the article goes like this. How many hours a day do you use your cell phone? Be honest. How often do you scroll through social media, watch a cute video, read an article, check the weather, play games, or Google something? How often do you scroll just standing in line because you're bored and or just do it out of habit? Technology is everywhere. It's changed the world and is here to stay. Endless information is available at our fingertips. We practically don't even have to leave our house anymore if we don't want to. We could take care of anything on our cell phone. It is popular to point fingers 
at millennials and the younger generations for being technology addicts. But let's be real. Older generations, including our grandparents, are just the same. The only difference is that older millennials and older still actively remember pre-smartphone or even pre-internet times. And then it just goes on to say this. Have you ever wondered how technology has affected us? How does it affect our mental health and development? How about our children? They don't know a world without smartphones, tablets, and laptops. And so that's the premise of the article. And so the, the article starts answering that question. First is this. Too much screen time causes behavioral problems in children and toddlers. Spending hours on end on the Internet and using technology has a negative impact on the physical and mental health of adults. Children, though, who are glued to screens are no better off and may even be worse off. A new study from the University of Michigan showed that screen time can have serious negative impacts on the health and development of children. It turns out a lot depends on the parents. Parents who spend a lot of time on their smartphones, laptop, or other technological devices, including TV, tend to have less meaningful and more interrupted relationships with their children. As a result, children may feel unimportant or frustrated. They may act out to get attention in some way. So too much uh, when you're too distracted with your screens, with your phone, with your laptop, with your television, it is... Uh, a byproduct of that, this author, this study is showing, is uh, behavioral problems with your children because they feel neglected. They feel second class. They feel like they don't have your attention. Then it goes on to say this. The study warns that the connection between parental technology use and children's behavior. This study was connect- conducted by examining 172 parent homes with children just over three. Parents answered questions regarding their technology usage, how often, how long, and how they use them. The study focused on interrupted family time, such as texting or spending time online uh, during play or mealtimes. Parents were asked to answer questions about their child's behavior, whether they were irritable, whiny, grumpy, or badly behaved within the two months prior to the study. Researchers factored in family income, education, stress, anxiety, and other factors. Uh, Though further research is needed to see if there's a direct correlation between parental technology use and child behavior, the study has shown that there is certainly a relationship. In fact, the mother's technology use is especially important when it comes to behavior. Spending too much time in front of the screen and in a virtual world can have other negative impacts besides bad behavior. Some of these include vision and eye problems, depression and other mental health problems, brain development and learning difficulties, neck, back, and other uh, problems as a result of poor posture, cardiovascular health problems, risk of diabetes, attention deficit problems, sleep problems, and obesity problems all in our children. And so here's the struggle I've got. I've said many times I have a 16-year-old, a 12-year-old, and a 10-year-old, and they have Various uses of technology and uh, is the, the one of the struggles is, is that it remains to be seen on some level. Uh, what are the long term impacts of this uh, uh, technology wave going to have? Uh, but we have to be honest and say that, that the way things have changed, um, you know, is is going to have an impact in our culture and in our kids. And so. Uh, what this article, how it's going to end is to say, you need to be proactive. You as parents need to be proactive. And so they go this. This is how the article ends. How to protect yourself and your family from the negative impacts of technology. Let me read their list of what we can do. Number one, limit screen time for everyone. Yes, this includes the adults too. Make rules and stick to them. Make sure to spend uninterrupted quality time with your children without technology. That's a really hard one. 
That's a hard one. Number two, <coughs> no phones at the dinner table. Make this lunch as well. No phones during mealtimes, period. Spend time together. Enjoy your meals. Slow down. Talk. Connect. And laugh. This is a hard one. <clears throat> a, a lot of us have meals together less and less. But I know one thing we do in our family when we have dinner together is uh, on a school day, we will ask, uh, what was your favorite part of the day? And we'll go around in a circle. What was your favorite part of the day? And they can't say lunch or recess. They have to say something else. And then we, we kind of push them like, oh, it was, uh, you know, math class. Why was it math class? What did you learn? And it's that interaction. And if you've got phones at the table, you know, that's going to take away from that ability. Number three. Pick activities instead of movies. Netflix is fun. fun. Distracting your kids with a cartoon is helpful. Family movie night is a fun way to spend time together. But choosing activities that allow actual interaction creates a better connection. Choose board games. Play cards or dominoes. Color, draw, or do crafts together. Play with Legos or building blocks. Go for an evening walk. It's so easy just to put on a show. And that's okay. There's no problem with that. Uh, but when that's always the default mode, it's just to sit on the couch and do that. You're missing the opportunity to connect with your children in some creative ways. Uh, the next one goes along with it. Get outside. Spending time in nature is beneficial for your health. Go for a hike. Play catch. Go mini golfing. Even if you live in a busy city, going out exploring in the concrete jungle is a lot of fun. Going outside of the house doesn't have to be outdoors. Go bowling to a trampoline gym or to a museum. Turn off your phones to be fully present with each other. And this will take some creativity in the coming months of the gray months here in Chicago. But do things that are either outside or outside of your norm that connects you with your kids. The last one in their list, put your phone on airplane mode even when you're not traveling. You do not have to be constantly up to date and see every text, social media post, or news update right away. Turn off those pings and put your phone on airplane mode or silent, especially if it's the evening or nighttime or homework time for your child. And they go on to say these tips can help you stay truly connected with your family and reduce the negative impact of technology. And I think what the overarching thing here is we need to realize there are uh, already known negative impacts of technology, but that's only going to become more of a realization, I think, on our parts. And so what are we going to do to mitigate uh, those negative impacts of technology. What are we going to do uh, to mitigate it? And, and so um, I think that list is helpful, but it's not gospel. There's other things that might work for you and your family. Uh, but know this, adults, when you're tied to your phone, when you're never off uh, and your kids feel like they're not getting your undivided attention, it clearly studies are already showing it has behavioral impacts on your children. Uh, It has health impacts on you and your child, and you've got to figure out uh, how your family is going to best function in a world where technology is not going anywhere. Thankfully, technology is a great thing. It's not going anywhere. So how are we going to uh, how are we going to uh, get the good of it, uh, but also mitigate against the bad that's that that's kind of the struggle of the 2020s i think that we're all going to have we all want to do well with our kids and so uh we want to have those conversations coming up next neuroscience reveals something very interesting uh, that i want to discuss with you that's coming up next here on the common good am 1160 hope for your life Welcome 
back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Uh, my name is Brian Fromm, normally joined by Ian Simpkins, but Ian is not with us today. He's still enjoying some family time, but he will be back on Monday, uh, and we will get the year rolling together, get 2020 rolling. We hope your year is off to a good start. Um, and you're looking forward to a good weekend, and kind of next week is when life gets normal again. Life kind of goes back. Uh, it gets normal again, but I'm wondering how you're doing all out there with your uh, with your New Year's resolutions, you know? Are you still going to the gym, still reading your Bible, still praying, whatever else it was? Uh, one of the keys about New Year's resolutions I've always found is when you fail, start over. Just keep going. <laughs> you don't need to wait till next year. And uh, hopefully... Uh, you, you're, uh, you, you're seeing already some changes that you wanted to make and, uh, but show yourself some grace at the daily It says this, the, the headline reads this neuroscience reveals gratitude literally rewires your brain to be happier. Gratitude literally rewires your brain to be happier. When you say thank you, the article starts, do you really mean it? Or is it just politeness to which you give little attention? Neuroscientists have found that if you really feel it when you say it, you'll be happier and healthier. The regular practice of expressing gratitude is not a new age fad. It's a facet of the human condition that reaps true benefits to those who mean it. Psychologist uh, Dr. Robert Emmons uh, and Dr. Michael McCullough published a study in 2015 that looked at the physical outcomes of practicing gratitude. One third of the subjects in the study were asked to keep a daily journal of things that happened during the week for which they were grateful. Another third were asked to write down daily irritations or events that had displeased them. The last third of the group was asked to write down daily situations and events with no emphasis on either positive or negative. So one was supposed to focus on the positive, one on the negative, and one just on the facts. At the end of the 10-week study, each group was asked to record how they felt physically and generally about life. The gratitude group reported feeling more optimistic and positive about their lives than the other groups. In addition, the gratitude group was more physically active and reported fewer visits to a doctor than those who wrote only about their negative experiences. Other research into the physical effects of gratitude report even more tangible results. That focusing on positive and feeling grateful can improve your sleep quality and reduce feelings of anxiety and depression. Furthermore, levels of gratitude correlate to better moods and less fatigue and inflammation, reducing the risk of heart failure, even for those who are susceptible. The reasons why gratitude we read here are is so impactful uh, to health and well-being begin in the brain. Uh, In a neurological experiment conducted by researchers at UCLA, brain activity was measured using magnetic resonance imaging as subjects were induced to feel gratitude by receiving gifts. The areas of the brain showing increased activity were the anterior Uh, cingulate cortex and medial prefrontal cortex, those associated with moral and social cognition, reward, empathy, and value judgment. This led to the conclusion that the emotion of gratitude supports a positive and supportive attitude towards others and a feeling of stress relief. Gratitude activates uh, other parts with uh, effects on metabolism, stress, and various behavior. Uh, It goes on to write this. A simple gratitude writing intervention was associated with significantly greater and lasting neural sensitivity to gratitude. Subjects who participated in gratitude letter writing showed both behavior increases in gratitude and significantly greater neural modulation by gratitude uh, in uh, the following three months. (coughs) Excuse me. In fact, this lasting effect is psychologically 
protective. In adolescence, feelings of gratitude have shown an inverse correlation with bullying, victimization, and suicide risk. Gratitude affects brain function on a chemical level, and its practice promotes feelings of self-worth and compassion for others. And so all of this goes on to say this, that when you feel gratitude, when you, when you choose gratitude, when that is your default, it literally affects your brain in ways that makes you healthier. Uh, makes your relationships better. It gives you a greater as, uh, a greater um, aspect of the way you look at your life. Uh, it literally rewires your brain towards happiness. And so then the $64,000 question of this article is, how do you become more grateful? This is biblical, isn't it? Paul, when he is uh, chained to, uh, most likely chained to a prison, uh, writing the book of Philippians, Uh, He says, be thankful in everything. He talks about gratitude and thankfulness over and over and over again. Uh, And the question becomes, how do we grow in gratitude even when we have hard circumstances? See, gratitude is not linked. uh, It is not just about our circumstances that we feel gratitude when things are good, but not when things are bad. So how do we grow as people of gratitude apart from our circumstances? The article goes on and it concludes this way. In times of hardship or stress, it may seem difficult to be grateful. But if you really think about it, we all have something to be grateful for. If you engage in only one prayer, let it be simply a heartfelt thank you. Here are three easy ways to put yourself in the mindfulness of gratitude. So they're going to end this article with three ways to grow in gratitude. Number one. Keep a daily journal of things you're grateful for. A list at list at least three. The best times for writing in your journal are in the morning as your day begins or at night before you go to bed. So keep a daily journal, a journal that says, you know what? I'm going to make myself think of at least three things that right now I'm grateful for that. Even if my circumstances are bad, I can be grateful for, uh, you know, my health. I can be thankful for, uh, Uh, my kids or my wife and that relationship. I can be thankful for the gospel. I can be thankful for another sunrise. I can be thankful. What are three things that you can show gratitude for that you are thankful for, that you are grateful for today? And this author says, write them down. Have a thankfulness, a gratitude journal that you walk, that you write in daily. Number two, make it a point to tell people in your life what you appreciate appreciate about them on a daily basis. That's a powerful one. Not am I appreciative of the people in my life, but but how can I share that with them? What can I tell them? Can I tell my wife, you know, this is why I love you. How often do I neglect to do that? Can I say that to my kids? Hey, hey, kids, this is uh, what I'm thankful for about you. Uh, Can we uh, our our coworkers, people in our churches, our friends, people who have stuck by us. This is why I'm thankful for you. And then verbalize it. Tell them that. Number three. When you look in the mirror, give yourself a moment to think about a quality you like about yourself or something you have recently accomplished. When you look in the mirror, give yourself a moment to think about a quality you like about yourself or something you have recently accomplished. A lot of us look in the mirror and we only see negative. We only see uh, things we aren't, things we haven't done, things that are hard in our lives. But this author is saying, next time you look in the mirror, and every day when you look in the mirror, verbalize, speak one thing 
to think about or, or verbalize a quality you like about yourself or something you've recently accomplished. It doesn't mean that you're perfect, that everything's great, uh, but it means that there are things to be grateful for, and it puts your mind at it. The, the article ends this way. Through the power of gratitude, you can wire your brain to be optimistic and compassionate, making you feel good. The more you look, the more you can find to be the more you can find to be grateful for. This positivity can extend to those around you, creating a virtuous cycle. In 2020, are you looking to be a lot of times we talk about happiness like it's not something we should be. I want to be happy. Do you want to grow in happiness? Uh, well, here's how you answer that question. Here's one of the ways you answer that question. We all have things to be grateful for. And so spend some time each day uh, focused on those things that we are to be grateful for. Uh, focusing on those things for which we can have gratitude and, and then and then run after those. And, and yeah, it doesn't mean everything's going to be roses. It doesn't mean everything's going to be easy. Uh, but it can get us in that proper mindset. And it reminds us again that Scripture is ahead of the curve on a lot of these things. And it tells us, be thankful in all circumstances. And what ultimately do we have to be thankful for? Yeah, I can be thankful for my wife. I can be thankful for my kids. I can be thankful for my job. I can be thankful uh, for the many blessings and friendships and everything else. But ultimately, I can be thankful no matter what is going on in my life for the good news of Jesus Christ, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, that provides me with hope, that provides me with joy, that provides us with purpose, that provides us with life. We can remind ourselves of that. And then our happiness and our joy and our gratefulness is not just grounded in our circumstances, uh, but is grounded uh, in the firm foundation of who Jesus is. So we'd love to know uh, what you think about that article. You can find it at Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. Well, coming up next. We're going to take a hard right turn, and we're going to go some interweb insanity craziness that our producers have found on the Internet. That's what we're going to do next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the Internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Well, that music can only mean one thing. It's the end of the show. It is the end of the show, and that means crazy stories from the Internet. I haven't read these just yet. They came from, uh, word is today, from our executive producer, Keith Conrad. So, so neither have I. I haven't read them either. John is distancing himself from these, which makes <laughs> it dangerous. And uh, we will laugh with you, and uh, and uh, we'll have some fun. Uh, so let's go ahead and start these. Uh, here we go. First one. I'm having trouble picking up the paper. I no, got no, it. D- there there it, is. it is. First one's out of Texas. All is not lost in this world. Garbage man leaves gift for toddler who waves at him every trash day. A garbage man in Texas left a Christmas gift on the doorstep of the home of a two-year-old boy who waves at him every trash day. The boy's father, Saul Luera, said in a heartwarming Christmas Eve post on Facebook that his son loves big trucks of all kinds. Every morning on trash day, he gets up and goes outside to see the garbage truck and waves at the garbage man. And today, out of nowhere, this kind man left him a present. Laura, who works as a sergeant for the Missouri City Police Department, thanked the driver for his generosity and said it shows that all is not lost in this world. He says, in my profession, I don't see a lot of acts of kindness like this, but I want to wish this man and his family a Merry Christmas. Are you crying? Am I crying? No, I'm not crying. You're crying. Keith has gotten sensitive since he got engaged. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's awesome. Well, here's where we lost it. Iowa. Man claiming to be God hits bystander and head with steel rod to heal them. (laughs) Welcome back, Keith. (laughs) 
Court documents state a man claimed to be God while attacking a victim Friday. Police said shortly before 11 p.m., Carl Stroud saw a male outside his apartment building, uh, his apartment building, who he believed was on drugs. Stroud claimed he was God and wanted to heal the victim. He attempted to heal the victim by, quote, striking him with the scepter or steel rod. The victim was unconscious and excessively bleeding from his head. First responders took the victim to the Mercy Medical Center, where medical professionals said he had a a fractured skull. Stroud has been charged with willful injury and assault. I unfriend you. That's not how it works. That's not how any of this works. (laughs) Next one's out of Utah. Woman told boyfriend, I'm going to Mike Tyson you, then went ahead to savage his ear. (laughs) What? Angelica Roberts reportedly savaged uh, her boyfriend with her teeth after a row over uh, teeth after a row over a statue while sat in a car. That's terribly written. That's awful. Roberts' alleged threat was a reference to the infamous 1997 heavyweight championship bout in which Mike Tyson was disqualified after biting part of rival Evander Holyfield's ear. Deputy Sheriff's Office spokesperson Liz Solis said it appeared as this Miss Roberts was the primary perpetrator against her partner. Roberts reportedly bit her boyfriend's ear while he sat in a parking lot with the extent of the injuries he sustained not outlined by the police. They're a fantastic couple. I love them. <laughs> I can see that. So applicable. All right. North Carolina. We haven't had any Florida here. Man. North Carolina county couple mistakes robotic vacuum for home intruder. A Forsyth County couple called 911 thinking an intruder was in their home, but it turned out to be something far less threatening. Just after midnight, a couple heard loud noises coming from the downstairs of their home. Thinking it was an intruder, they hid in their closet and called 911. But when deputies searched the home, all they found was a robotic vacuum. (laughs) It had somehow turned itself on, got stuck, and began banging on a wall. The couple says they're embarrassed about what happened, but also thankful it wasn't a real intruder. It definitely is better to be safe than sorry, because having heard what we did, I still would have called the police because you just never know, said the homeowner. The couple just bought the robotic vacuum three days ago. It even named the robotic vacuum Harry. It can't be bargained with. It can't be reasoned with. It doesn't feel pity (laughs) or remorse or fear. And it absolutely will not stop ever. (laughs) Last one's out of Alabama, which is that where Keith is from? I, I, mm. It's at least where his parents live, I believe. It's at least where his parents live, I believe. We're just giving you the whole background of Keith here. I thought he was from Colorado, and then he went to high school in Alabama. Well, this last one he chose is out of Alabama. County misspelled on 10,000 trash bins in Alabama town. Some spelling mistakes are tough to see, but that doesn't include the one that is made uh, was made on 10,000 trash bins in an Alabama city. The city of Pritchard's new residential garbage can say the town is located in Mobile Mobile Country, but that they were supposed to say it's located in Mobile County with an extra R, without the extra R. The mistake just isn't in fine print. It's printed in large letters on two sides of the big gray cans. The mayor, Jimmy Gardner, told WPMI-TV the city public works department had the duty of making sure the writing on the cans was spelled correctly. Things like that do happen in the proofing, he said. The city doesn't plan to replace the bins, and that's fine with some people. It doesn't really matter, as long as they pick up my trash, said longtime resident. Go! <laughs> there you go. No better way to end the show. There you go. Uh, Mobile, Alabama. 
County for yeah, Country. May as well. I could totally see doing that. Spell check. That's not that bad. I could totally see was doing the, that. We were at, there was another misspelled story we did about the Santa. It was Satan. Yep, that one's a bigger deal. That's a way bigger deal. That's a bigger deal. Well, way thank big. you for joining us today. Come back and join us again on Monday when Ian uh, makes his triumphant return. We, ho- we hope you have a great weekend. My name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good. AM 1160. Hope for your life.